You can save every day by shopping at Whole Foods Market. Seriously, don't just go for the big sales. They have literally thousands of low-priced goods with their house brand, 365 by Whole Foods Market, while at happy prices, limited-time seasonal flavors, and all the quality you expect, like no high-fructose corn syrup or over 300 other ingredients banned from all the food they sell. There's so many ways to save at Whole Foods Market. Now you know. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help Dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power Dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Hi, it's Mignon Fogarty, Grammar Girl, and this week I have a quick and dirty tip about what you should call a group of people who are engaged to be married. I have a meaty middle by Sial Graves about if clauses. Usually they're conditional, but in a few odd cases, they're always true. And finally, I have a tidbit by Samantha Enslin about why we call a person or an animal a dark horse. And now, on to fiancés. Michael R. wrote, quote, I'm embarrassed to admit that I just found out that we use two spellings for fiancé. F-I-A-N-C-E for a male, and F-I-A-N-C-E-E for a female. How do I refer to a group of fiancés, mixed male and female? I would guess that in English, being the male-oriented language from years gone by, we would default to the male spelling. But perhaps you know of a different answer and possibly a different spelling, unquote. Like Michael, if forced to guess, I would have picked the masculine spelling. But I couldn't find a real answer, so I turned to Merriam-Webster editor-at-large Peter Sokolowski. Peter believes the only way to identify a group of male and female people engaged to be married is to call them affianced couples, or simply the affianced. Affiance, the verb, is pronounced with the emphasis on the middle syllable, affiance. Here's an example sentence from Webster's third New International Dictionary, unabridged. The affianced couple will marry next month. If you go all the way back to Latin, you see that fiancé is related to the words faith and faithful. And you may have guessed from how the words sound, they come to English through French, where the words meant to promise or to betroth. And that's your quick and dirty tip. A group of men and women who are engaged to be married should be referred to as the affianced or the affianced couples. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power Dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. We all know Kit Kat bars taste delicious, but what about how they sound? It's not just a catchy jingle. It's the satisfying crack of breaking off a piece of Kit Kat followed by a crisp crunch. Oh, we forgot one other sound that accompanies Kit Kat bars, too. It's 
<sighs> or maybe it's more like all together, Kit Kat bars are music to our ears and yummy flavors to our mouths. Have a break. Have a Kit Kat. Remember the frustration of trying to memorize vocabulary and grammar rules only to find you couldn't actually use the language in real life? Well, there's a better way to learn. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program with millions of users learning 25 different languages. And you can get it on your desktop or as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways with its intuitive process. It's really different. You pick up the language naturally, first with words, then the phrases, and then with sentences. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There is no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Grammar Girl listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Is it rosettastone.com grammar. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com grammar today. And now, on to the meaty middle by Sayel Graves. Today's topic is the funny case of a special kind of if clause, which is also a conditional mood construction. It's special because where we expect that one part of the sentence must be true in order for the other part to be true, it logically can't be so. When taken literally or interpreted as the unintended non sequitur, these constructions can be funny. For example, a comedian named Dimitri Martin once joked about a shop clerk having a conditional identity because she said, if you need anything, I'm Jill. Yet, We hear people saying similar sentences a lot. To understand more about them, let's first define the regular conditional mood and the if clause, and then come back to this quirky type at the end. A language mood is like an attitude that's expressed with grammar or with words. And the conditional mood expresses probability, possibility, and also the fact that some things cause or lead to other things. To express it, we use modal auxiliary verbs like would, should, and could. For example, kindness should be rewarded. That one expresses an opinion. Another example is we could take the day off today. That one expresses possibility or an option. Other modals such as may and can are also used to express varying degrees of possibility in conditional mood sentences. The modal might is used to express the potential or ability of the subject of the sentence, like Noel might join us. In contrast, regular default sentences, meaning sentences that aren't in any mood and instead simply state facts or questions, are referred to as being in the indicative mood. The if clause is a construction we often use to express the conditional mood. An if clause is a subordinate clause, also called a dependent clause. That means that it's a sentence piece that only makes sense with an independent clause attached to it, either before it or after it. There are three main types of if clauses, 
which are the most standardized. So we'll go over those first. The first one is often called a future conditional, and it's formed with a simple present tense plus the future tense, like this. If Noelle studies, she will pass her exams. The future tense clause makes a prediction, but it's contingent upon the possible situation in the if clause. Neither clause can be evaluated as true or false, but both could potentially happen. The second type is sometimes called a hypothetical conditional or unreal conditional and is formed with the simple past tense plus the conditional modal construction, like this. If Noelle studied, she would pass her exams. Neither clause can really be evaluated as true or false, as neither one is set in stone. However, hypothetically, the conditional clause would be contingent upon the if clause to come true. We would elaborate on this idea with something like, but she doesn't study, so she won't pass her exams. Also notice that the if clause implies that the opposite of what it says is true. The speaker observes Noel's general state of being a non-studier. The third type is called a past hypothetical conditional and is formed with the past perfect tense plus the past conditional construction, like this. If Noel had studied, she would have passed her exams. She would have passed her exams. This one we could follow up with something like, but she didn't study, so she didn't pass her exams. Again, neither clause is really true or false, and it's too late for either one to be fulfilled. However, the past possibility of the independent clause would have been contingent upon the if clause. Although these three are recognized as the most standard if clauses, There are other interesting ways to construct if clauses, too. One is using the simple present in both clauses. For example, you can use if to express that one situation not only causes another, but that it always does so, such as when explaining physical properties like this. If you water plants too much, they die. Some grammarians call this the zero conditional. Also note that the second clause relies on the condition outlined in the first clause. The plants only die if you water them too much. This kind of sentence may be less common because the if means the same thing as when, and using when can seem more natural, at least for some English speakers. When you water plants too much, they die. Alternatively, using the first type of if clause we mentioned, which would go, if you water plants too much, they will die, may seem more natural to many people, too. We had an article a few years ago that talked about how many speakers use simple past tense instead of pluperfect when they use the past hypothetical conditional. And it includes an example of yet another tense combination, which is simple present plus present progressive. If Squiggly knows the answer, he isn't saying. In that one, the second clause still expresses something that relies on the if clause being true. And we can now return to today's topic, which is another exception to the tense pairings in the three traditional types of if clauses, and which, as we saw at the beginning, has an independent clause that is not contingent upon the if clause, such as this example. If you're interested in the workshop, 
there's a flyer attached with more information. Now, that's unusual because whether or not the if clause is true, the independent clause expresses a continuously true state. The flyer is attached whether anyone is interested or not. In fact, you could express that with various past tenses, too, like this. If you're interested in taking the workshop, I attached a flyer to this email. That past tense part simply expresses the state of the flyer in that it's attached to the email. Linguist Mark Liberman says this type of sentence is often called a relevance conditional. He explains that the if clause being true isn't necessary for the independent clause to be true. Rather, context or conversational relevance triggers a relationship between the two clauses. Another theory is that there are words omitted from the independent clause but still implied. For example, if you're interested in taking the workshop, you'll also be interested to know that I attached a flyer to this email. That shop clerk's sentence could be explained like this. If you need any help, it'd be relevant for you to know that my name is Jill. Other linguists, they call these biscuit conditionals because of the British-English example, which is often repeated in the linguistic community. There are biscuits in the cupboard if you want them. The order of the clauses just happens to be reversed in this example, and it has that same funny reading, which is that the independent clause is true, regardless of whether the if clause is true. Those biscuits are always in the cupboard. So the next time you hear this construction, you can choose to observe it in quiet or joke back by saying, and what if I don't want any? Where are the biscuits then? That piece was written by Sael Graves, who's a linguist and professor at the City University of New York at LaGuardia Community College. And now, on to our tidbit about following suit. The 2015 Kentucky Derby is coming up soon. If you're rooting for Bolo or Ocho Ocho Ocho, you are betting on a dark horse, literally and figuratively. These two ponies are dark bay colts. That means their bodies are a deep reddish brown. Their manes, tails, and legs are black. They are literally dark horses. They also have a slim chance of winning. Two days before the derby, Bolo's odds are listed at 30 to 1. Poor Ocho's are only 50 to 1. So Bolo and Ocho are figuratively dark horses too. They're contestants barely known by the public. And remember that in addition to meaning dark in color, dark can also mean unknown, hidden, or secret. As you might have guessed, the term dark horse comes from horse racing. It was first recorded in 1831 in a book by Benjamin Disraeli. He describes how, quote, a dark horse, which had never been thought of, rushed past the grandstand in sweeping triumph, unquote. The term soon jumped from racing to politics, where it was used to describe a little-known candidate who comes from behind to unexpectedly win a race. For example, an 1893 Wall Street Journal article described the Democratic National Convention like this, quote, Brian broke loose too soon. Bland's strength will wane after the first ballot. It will then be anybody's race. Cool-headed leaders say the convention may last over Sunday, 
barring a stampede for a dark horse, unquote. The phrase is still used today, too. In a 2013 pop song, Katy Perry asks, Do you dare to do this? Because I'm coming at you like a dark horse. Who knows what rock stars really mean in their lyrics, but we can guess that Perry meant she was an unexpected suitor who would be unexpectedly successful. So that's your tidbit for the day. The term dark horse means an underdog or an unlikely winner. That piece was written by Samantha Enslin, who runs Dragonfly Editorial. You can find her at dragonflyeditorial.com or on Twitter as dragonflyedit. That's it for this week. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. You can find hundreds of other Grammar Girl articles and podcasts at quickanddirtytips.com. This podcast was recorded in the studios at the Reynolds School of Journalism at the University of Nevada. That's all. Thanks for listening. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals... To academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.